Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Please join us for this empowering podcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. And we are so fortunate to have an amazing moderator today, Gina Bamberg, the CEO of the Women's Hospital of Texas. She is also a board member and co-chair of our Dynamic Healthcare Committee. And if any of you are looking for a committee to serve on, I know Gina would be happy to talk to you after the panel. So take it away, Gina. All right, good morning, everybody. I'm so excited to be here together with these ladies. I feel very, uh, you saw their, all of their titles and their education. I feel, uh, I feel very honored to be here with you all today. And we're gonna talk a little bit about healthcare. So we're gonna start with having each of you just do a quick introduction, one minute, about yourself. Uh, so I'm, an, I'm, I'm actually uh, gonna start down here with Dr. Molly Gordon. Hi, good morning. Thank you for being here today. Um, I want to make sure my back's not to anybody. I'm Molly Gordon. I'm a psychiatrist by training at Baylor College of Medicine. I work on the inpatient psychiatric unit at Bentov with Dr. John Coverdale. Um, uh, when I'm not teaching residents and medical students, I run a program called the Anti-Human Trafficking Program that treats survivors of all forms of labor and sex trafficking. And that program was built um, from the patients that we serve who needed that care. Um, additionally, I started the Division of Global Mental Health at Baylor College of Medicine, where we do capacity building strategies to mitigate gender-based violence worldwide. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. Okay, next we have uh, Ms. Tracy Kirkland. Tell us about yourself. Good morning, greetings. My name is Dr. Tracy Kirkland. I am a clinical associate professor at the University of Southern California. I'm the lead professor for pediatric clinical and didactic. I am also an adult and pediatric nurse practitioner, and I work for Village MD, so I provide care across the spectrum of life. I trained at Johns Hopkins Medical University, or Johns Hopkins University, where my impetus for treating women and children started with lead poisoning. Currently, I'm interested in providing care to individuals who are at risk for food insecurity, and my specific research focus is on black women at social support, loneliness, and the link to food insecurity. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, and I want to correct myself. My script said to call you Miss. You have earned your doctorate. That is a very big deal. I want to clarify that. Let's congratulate her on that. I yes. actually would like to tell you that I'm doc. I'm dual doctorally prepared, so I'm less than 1% of the individuals have two doctorates. So. We'll call you double doctor. <laughs> double doctor. Okay, here we go. So, Dr. Celia Ledette, did I say that right? Perfect. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I am Dr. Celia Ledette. I'd like to thank um, everyone for being here today. I am an assistant professor at MD Anderson Cancer Center. I work in the Department of Surgical Oncology, but I am a general surgeon, so I perform non-oncologic general surgery, and my focus really is on abdominal wall reconstruction. I'm a native Houstonian, a mom, and I'm an avid traveler. Nice to see everybody today. Welcome. Thank you for being here. All right, and then we have Dr. Maria Skouros. Please tell us about yourself. Are we sharing a mic? Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this is a tough act to follow after the cybersecurity, you know? <laughs> Uh, my name is Maria Skouros. I'm a medical oncologist and hematologist. And um, my, my journey really started many, many years ago. When at the age of five, I, was, I made it sure that my parents knew I wanted to become a doctor. So since then, it's been a, it's quite a long journey um, from really 
getting an opportunity at a women's medical school in London, England, called the Royal Free, Royal for being the charter of the Queen Victoria, and free because it was a free medical school, uh, gave the women the opportunity to actually uh, graduate and uh, have the careers they wanted to. By the time I got there, of course, we gave half of our seats to the men. Well, that's okay. Um, but uh, for going forward from there, um, I moved to Greece, which is my home country, and uh, went to work with a surgeon that I think was a very far-sighted surgeon in those days. Um, and I say that because a lot of surgeons in those days were very protective of what they were doing. But he was one of those that actually realized that extensive and more surgery was not a good thing for women's breasts, and we would like to decrease that. And so I was, happened to be at a time where we were developing new treatments to, to decrease the amount of surgery and increase the preservation aspect of breast surgery. Uh, that was really an eye-opener for me as a trainer, a trainee, and uh, decided to go into oncology at that point and happened to cross paths with uh, Dr. Paul Kretchen from NCI who said, Maria, you've got to come to the U.S. Uh, this is uh, where your ideas are going to be really fruitful. And so I made the journey um, and uh, came here in the late 70s and I uh, was at MD Anderson. Um, I call it my alma mater, um, and basically have uh, had a tremendous amount of training. Uh, Anderson is an amazing place for people who want to learn and uh, push the boundaries of treatments for the patient's benefit. I had the opportunity to work with Emil Freireich, who is one of our powerful and very, very uh, important mentors in the field of medical oncology, who taught me that, Maria, don't be afraid to you know, push the boundaries because the treatments we have are not working. So my goal from that was to really move forward into uh, clinical trials and new treatments. Um, after a while, it, you know, life happens, and so I uh, decided to get married, and my husband, who's been supportive, is right here today, and my son, Michael. And um, that's when I decided to take life and the profession together and I uh, decided to open my practice and really transfer into the community the things that I had learned and wanted to do in terms of prevention, screening, and obviously treatments and developing new treatments. And so my focus has been over the past years to really bring to the community that I, I serve outside of the big academic centers, bring to, the, to that community what we have learned and what we can do best. And it's really uh, been a challenge in terms of being the, the business part and also the medical part. But you know, we have to blend them. We have to also blend our family part. And um, that has been really a wonderful experience. And I want to thank my family here, who's here today, uh, for being supportive. Wouldn't have happened without them. Two kids and one husband. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. So you can see, <clears throat> certainly, that we have a, a lot of varied experience and expertise here. So we're going to just ask each of them a quick question about uh, their particular area and, and see what we can learn. So Dr. Gordon, we will start with you. Please share your thoughts on the mental health crisis that our nation is experiencing and how we as women can help. Um, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So, um, so we are experiencing um, a mental health crisis. Um, if any of you have children who uh, just um, lived through many years of a pandemic, you'll probably notice um, that there's been an uptick in um, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, self-harming, suicidal behavior among our youth in the United States. Um, 
we know that um, it's not only children who are struggling, um, but adults, and that there is a um, dearth of resources to meet the needs of persons who need mental health care um, and those who are able to access it. Um, one of the things um, that's very important um, to me as a mental health provider is to make sure that there's access um, to mental health care early. Um, so if you or a loved one or a child you're caring for is starting to show signs and symptoms of a mental health condition, don't wait until there's a crisis. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of resources when it comes to inpatient care in the city or in the state. Um, um, I'll give you an example. I was at uh, Texas A&M giving a talk recently, and the chairman told me that there's no, at Texas A&M, there's like tens of thousands of undergraduate students, there's no inpatient psychiatric facilities nearby. I mean, so we're talking about a highly vulnerable population, a resourced population without access to care. Um, so um, so it, is, it is an issue. Um, if you read the newspaper or even wake up every day, you'll probably um, notice that um, the mental health in our, in our society is not as good as it could be. Um, so reach out for help, contact providers, have access to providers um, earlier, um, focus on preventative measures. Um, I always say that mental health is like lipstick, everybody could use a little, right? So it's something that um, could benefit everybody. Even if we think that we're doing well, we could always cope better. That, so I, I think everybody has notepads. That's the first note for the day for me. Somebody write that down at my table, please. Mental health is like lipstick. Everybody can use a little. I love it. Thank you so much. Very good. So Tracy, I'm going to move to you, Dr. Kirkland. Uh, so we were all uh, adversely affected by the pandemic. Uh, no sector more than nursing which of course is something that uh, I work with every day. Has the pandemic hurt the recruitment of nurses? How can we encourage children, grandchildren, students to become nurses as a, as a career? And then how can we show nurses how much we appreciate them? It's a long question, but if you could weave all of that in, that'd be great. Okay, greetings. Again, thank you for having me. There is a current crisis in terms of nurses, recruitment and retention. And most recently, we're dealing with burnout, and that is secondary to the pandemic. We have an exodus, a large exodus of nurses that are leaving. During the pandemic, we had nurses leave their home organizations and do travel nursing. And what we're seeing is, it's the actual economics. We're like, like teachers, we are underpaid, we're overutilized, and as a result, we're losing our nurses. One of the things that many of the states are doing now is that they're doing a very rapid kind of get students through to graduate in order to hire them. That's how short, especially in some of the Midwest cities, that nurses aren't able to provide the care that is needed to the general public. Without nurses, we can't survive. We are the backbones. I'm sorry to my physician colleagues. She's we, right. We, we are the backbones. We're there during the morning, during the evening, during the night. We filter the questions. We hold the hands. We are there doing the birth and at the end of life. What we can do to support nurses is really to provide a smile. Simply say, thank you for your service. Provide little extras when you go into your health care for your, 
your visits, just take a card. Most recently, we had Nurses Appreciation Week. What I would like to interject and say that for like the third or fourth year in a row, nurses are the most highly respected profession there is. As a result, we should introduce early on to children the role of nursing. We can work collaboratively with schools, especially in vulnerable communities, and bring professional individuals to the schools, discuss the actual roles, talk about the benefits, and do shadowing. When I was growing up, I was actually a candy striper. So I was able to will individuals to their rooms, discharge them, help with post-mortem care. So just working collaboratively and establishing community resources, programs, it will not only be beneficial for that individual, but for that agency as well when you can establish community collaborative partnerships. Thank you so much, thank you. So I will give a little plug here. In my role as the CEO of the Women's Hospital of Texas, one of my favorite parts of the week is when I get to share patient recognition uh, with our nurses. And she said, Candy Striper, not called that anymore. Uh, but we have a junior volunteer program at the Women's Hospital of Texas. Would love to have anybody uh, apply for that. So we'll move on now uh, to Dr. Ledette. So let's talk about a little bit about uh, your expertise as a surgeon. What led you to specialize in reconstructive surgery, especially abdominal wall reconstruction? And what advice would you have to young women considering your field? Well, um, I trained at Baylor and I got my training in trauma. So I'm a trauma surgeon um, and I also have another board in critical care. But when I graduated, um, there was a job at MD Anderson that I couldn't refuse. There's no trauma at MD Anderson, but I came over to the institution. And I think that what led me to abdominal wall reconstruction was just patient need. Um, when we got there, there are a lot of patients that have these large cancer surgeries that left them with ventral hernias, which is basically a hernia in your anterior abdominal wall. Some patients had hernias in the groin area. And we have a really large plastic surgery department at MD Anderson, but the volume was so great that they really needed more surgeons to take care of the issue. And so um, I've been there for seven years, and every year our volume of abdominal wall reconstruction just gets bigger and bigger. But at this point, it's about 50% of my practice. Um, so after recognizing that, my partner and I started training in minimally invasive surgery, and now we offer robotic incisional hernia repairs and ventral hernia repairs. And that is kind of you know, kind of separated us a little bit from our plastic surgery colleagues in that we offer minimally invasive ventral hernia repairs to our patients. And so really patient need drove me to specialize more, and really um, I quite enjoy it now. Um, so what I would tell young women um, that are thinking about surgery is that there is a place for every young woman in surgery. I think that when I was in medical school, I, was, I went to Georgetown and it was a very different place than Houston. Um, to be honest, I didn't really feel like I belonged in that department. And there was a surgeon that pulled me to the side and he said, you know, if you want to do surgery, go someplace where you feel like you fit. Mm -hmm. So I came back home and it was like this beautiful fit. 
Um, I came to Baylor, and at the time, we had a great program director who believed in diversity. Five of my eight um, residents were women, and it just felt like a better fit. But all that to say is that if you want to do something, there is a place for you to do it as long as you want to do it. Um, and that goes for surgery, that goes for you know, any career. And also with surgery, everybody thinks that surgery is extremely hard, and it is. But um, you know, if you want to do the work, you can have your career, you can have your family, you can have your, you know, your trips. Like you can kind of do everything you want to do. You just have to tailor your life to it. So that's what I would say for a woman who wants to go into surgery is that you can have it all. You really, it is definitely very possible. Thank you so much for sharing that advice. Very good. So Dr. Scaris, we'll end with you uh, and a question for you. Let, I'd love to hear more. Please share what or who influenced you to open your own Cancer Institute. You touched on that a little bit earlier, but if you'd tell us a little bit more about that and then work in, if you would, what we all need to know as women as far as preventive care. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, as I said earlier, it was really that impetus that uh, you get at MD Anderson, which is the idea of developing new things and new treatments and uh, moving that boundary forward in the favor of the patient. And that, at one point when I made a decision to move into private practice, I realized that as I was in the community and you know, we opened our offices in the west side of town, that there was a, a lack of some appreciation in the community and not to the physicians necessarily, but in general, and there was an increased need for understanding early prevention, uh, early detection. Um, all things that really actually as an oncologist we don't do, but we have to work with physicians in the community to enhance those programs. So that was one of my um, main interests in there. And also to bring in to the uh, new com in medical community uh, additional treatments and uh, processes that actually uh, are only available at ma large ma medical institutions. Uh, one of the things that uh, attracted me also was I had been involved in the bone marrow transplant program at Anderson, and there was a need to develop it on the west side of town, and so I actually uh, started it from scratch, an autologous bone marrow transplant program um, that was heavily focused on breast uh, treatment at that time. Um, that led to a lot of other things that, uh, you know, as the field has evolved, uh, I'm really thrilled to say that medical oncology, in conjunction with all the other specialty surgery, radiation, and the genetics, has really moved the field very fast forward. Um, I can't believe that what we were doing 10 years ago, we're no longer doing it. We're doing a lot of new things. We're trying to minimize the surgeries. Uh, that part of that ability to do, though, comes as a result of our ability to shrink tumors with chemotherapy. So chemotherapy has come a long way. Um, the side effects are we're also trying to minimize them so that patients can actually uh, get the benefits of treatment to minimize the, the tumors so they can be removed or completely gone away. Um, in the meantime, while all this is happening, you know, the, throughout the whole oncology fields, we've had really tremendous um, developments that I think have helped um, oncology patients. One of those is the immune therapy, which is an area that I was involved in at uh, the, in the immunology departments at MD Anderson, where now we have new drugs that are not they're not chemotherapy; they're actually treatments that will actually. Um, 
treat the cancer from within, so to speak, with having immune cells uh, attack the cancer in, in a rough way, and also um, therefore treat them in a very uh, way that's very tolerable for the patient. I'll share with you a patient that I saw yesterday about this time, it's about a 72-year-old lady who uh, presented to us with uh, metastatic lung cancer. Uh, with a lot of fluid in the lungs. We had uh, a lot of problems with uh, dealing with that. And what we did basically is bring to, to the community that you, we have access to, ability to take, put pleural catheters in, drain that fluid, but at the same time started her on chemotherapy and immunotherapy. I'm pleased to say that at the meeting yesterday that I had with her and her family, she was uh, two months into the treatment. She had a 50% reduction. And she was happy. She walked in. She said, Dr. Skouris, I'm not going to use my wheelchair anymore. I said, I saw you walked in. She said, yes, and I'm going to keep on doing it, and How I'm eating wonderful. up a storm. And she That's was, awesome. and that is really, I think, a credit to the whole medical community. Yeah. Let's thank every, all of thank our panelists here. That. We're on a tight timeline today. I wish we could have you here all the time, but we do have a book for y'all from our speakers, so I hope you'll stay for the book signing. Here you go. Here, so so while they distribute the book, so. I would yeah, like to uh, welcome to the stage the Vice President uh, of Account Management and Sales for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, and she is my healthcare committee co-chair, Ms. Heather Linton. She is going to present our 2023 Catherine S. Stream Award. Help me welcome Heather. Thank you. Thanks, Gina. Um, now we're excited to present the 2023 Catherine S. Stream Award for Excellence Honorees. The Catherine S. Stream Award honors um, members, she's a founding member of the Texas Medical Center Women's Health Network, who served as the Vice Provost for, for Healthcare Affairs at the Texas Women's University in Houston, and as a Senior Vice President of the Texas Medical Center. Um, please know that the judges had a very hard decision in choosing our 2023 honorees, such a talented panel of women, and all of our finalists are so deserving. For the first time ever in history, we have a tie. Dr. Molly Gordon with Baylor College of Medicine and Dr. Cecilia Robinson Ledet with MD Anderson Cancer Center. Congratulations, Dr. Molly Gordon and Dr. Celia Robinson Ledet, our 2023 Catherine S. Stream Award honorees. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday at 6 p.m. For more information about the Chamber and our podcast, please visit us at ghwcc.org.